0: Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Keep it there for a minute and we'll get into that in a few moments. We're coming toward the end of Galatians very quickly and uh, we'll be finishing that up, Lord willing, probably next Sunday night. (coughs) Whoa, excuse me. (coughs) I meant to block that and it didn't block. A couple of things before I get into the text tonight, before we get into talking about this, that uh, we spent a couple of days this past week Thursday and Friday away on a staff retreat uh, praying for you and praying for grace and praying for Somerset and praying for just direction on some things and a couple of things that will immediately be seen coming out of that will be uh, just a couple of changes on the short term on Sunday evening Uh, one is two weeks from tonight you're going to do the message all right you're going to do that uh, in other words, two weeks from tonight, we're going to come and meet and we're going to pray and we're going to have you some things and we're going to go out and blitz several neighborhoods with invitations for Easter Sunday at the Christian school uh, and just go out door to door and just hand, leave them on the door, hand them out they're there, but just to let people know that we're having the, uh, uh, a special service there and so instead of coming and just sitting on Sunday night, you're going to be a little active. You're going to take the message out to our community, Okay. So I hope you'll be here, and I hope you'll get some other folks to come and help too. The more they're here, the easier the task will be. That's two weeks from tonight during the worship time. That's a legitimate use of that time, without a doubt. Uh, Then after Easter, uh, after we've had our Easter service, which is on the 4th of April, uh, for several weeks, uh, one of the things that Brother Todd and Brother Scott came back from uh, the conference in uh, December about with our college students, the Passion Conference, was just a real burden to heighten the awareness of the need for ministry to the poor, uh, not only here in Somerset, but around the world, but especially here in Somerset. And so uh, Scott is going to be doing a, a series of, of messages on just the Christian's responsibility to and response to the poor. And I think you'll find that very helpful and very uh, Uh, inspirational and very challenging as he uh, brings those messages to us. And then on one Sunday evening, uh, toward the end of that, I forget the date on it. I've got it on my calendar, but we'll let you know in plenty of time. Uh, It's in May, I believe. In May, we will have a Sunday evening at the end of that series where there will be a sort of a ministry fair that we'll have on Sunday evening. Uh, We'll talk about ministry and we'll talk about the various things. We'll have some ministries here, uh, both locally and beyond just to kind of share with you some of the things that's taking place around the world uh, that, that we can pray for and be a part of in, in many different ways. So uh, Sunday evening is going to be a little different for a few weeks, and that'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be good to give me a little break on Sunday evening for a while, and Scott is always willing uh, to take uh, that time anytime I will give it to him. So uh, that way he'll have that, so it'll work out well, and uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, And then i got to find a way to give Todd some time, and and, uh, you know know how that goes. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, So, so much for Sunday night. There are other things that came about on that uh, retreat that you'll be hearing about in the next few days or few weeks, but just be praying particularly about those. Now take your Bibles and look with me at Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 6. My plan is to look at just the first uh, the verses 6 through 10 tonight and then close out this next Sunday night with the rest of this and a bit of an overview of what we've talked about for the last months as we've looked at Galatians. The Apostle Paul, writing to the Galatian Christians, is getting into just a very practical pastoral mode in this sixth chapter. You remember in the earlier chapters he has chastised them, which is a pastoral role, by the way, but he's hit them pretty hard because they have, uh, are showing some signs of, of turning away from the truth, turning away from the gospel, and, and letting the Judaizers convince them that perhaps they need to add Judaism uh, to their Christianity and let the two be sort of synchronized together. And he says that's not it at all. They do not go well together. Judaism was a great precursor to Christianity. It was a great forerunner to Christianity. But once Christ came, all of that was changed. And you don't add the old to the new. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. And the gospel is new wine in the most perfect, sure sense of the word. And you don't put it in the old wineskins to store it. So the old systems couldn't handle the gospel. But these people were kind of trying to do that. They were trying to go back to the old wineskins, go back to to the old way of doing things, go back to the rituals, go back to the law. And Paul had to get rather firm with them. And use some words like "Who is bewitching you? Who is leading you astray? Who has lied to you? Who is distorting the truth?" I mean, he goes into some very harsh and hard words. Uh, then, as we moved on, we saw that that he talked about in verse five or chapter five just what it means to walk in the Spirit. He uses the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and he he contrasts those. And he says, quite simply, that we are, we're to live by the Spirit and we're also to walk by the Spirit. That if we are in Christ, it is the Spirit of God that, that empowers us for living. It's not our own flesh. It's not our own doing. It's, it's the Spirit of God indwelling us. And so we live by the Spirit and we walk by the Spirit as believers. And when we have the Spirit within us, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all these things which there's no law against, those things are the fruit that blooms out of the internal spirit being present. Uh, there, it's not something you try to do. You don't grit your teeth and say, okay, I'm going to love more, you know? Even if it kills me. If you got to do that, it will. You don't say, you know, I'm just going to try to have more joy, if I can. That's not what you do. If the Spirit of God is indwelling you, this is the fruit. Just like if you have an apple tree growing out in your backyard, when it comes time for the blooms and all that to take place, and the fruit comes on the tree, you don't say, Boy, I sure hope I get some peaches this year from my apple tree, or some plums, or some oranges. No, you know that if it is an apple tree, it is going to produce apples. Nothing else. Because that's what is in the nature of the tree. It is in the nature of that tree to produce apples. What is in the nature of a Christian is to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And as we walk with Him and walk in Him, that becomes a reality in our life. It's a growing thing. It's a maturing thing. It's not not just something that, uh, you know, all of a sudden we come to Christ and poof, Now we have all the love, joy, peace, patience, etc. that we need. Just like that apple tree was an apple tree from the time it was a sapling. But it had to grow. And it had to mature. And it had to be nourished in order for the fruit to be visible. And the same thing happens in our lives. All right. Then Paul comes to chapter 6. And last week we talked about how he says, you know, if anyone's caught in sin, then restore that one in love and in patience and you know, if you're spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So and and be careful that you not be tempted, and bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ and all that. And Paul is simply saying there, We are responsible. We are our brother's keeper. We are responsible for one another, to watch out for one another, and when there is sin involved, to to confront one another and when we see something wrong to to call that to task in a gentle sort of way in a loving sort of way and we talked about how that is church discipline pure and simple it's a matter of, of being disciplined within the body to call one another lovingly to an account and so we are to be involved in that in all things and then it cuts to, cha- to chapter six verse six and I just got to tell you chapter six is every pastor's favorite verse all right Know that? And he wishes that everybody would learn this verse because it's saying exactly what it sounds like it's saying. And let the one who is taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. All right? There is a sense in which it's talking about take care of your pastor teachers. Take care of those who minister to you the word of God. You receive it. You learn from it. You be taught it. By the ones that are uh, ones that God has given to you, and then you share out of your abundance with them. You care for them. You meet their needs financially, physically, and otherwise. Now, I, I say that jokingly—that it's every pastor's favorite verse—but I say that because that is a principle of Scripture uh, that those who teach the Word are to be cared for. The, another place Jesus said, "Don't don't muzzle the ox while he's thrashing." You know, don't don't tie the ox up so that he can't proclaim and. It's really nice to be called an ox by the Lord Jesus Christ as a as a preacher of the word, but that's what he's saying. Don't the one who labors with the word, don't tie them up. Don't limit them, but be sure that they are cared for and, and watched for in everything. It's an interesting thing there that the word Paul uses for the word share there is the Greek word koinonia. Now we know that word to mean what? Fellowship. I mean, you hear that a lot. You know, this is the koinonia. It's a fellowship. Uh, and, and that is not so big perhaps today, but I remember in the 70s, that was the word in Christian circles. You know, oh, we just want to have some koinonia. And we talked about koinonia, is fellowshipping. It's, it's like two fellows being on a ship, you know, and they, they're on a ship together, and they're moving together, and they're staying together because they're bound together by the ship, and there's fellowship in that. That fellowship is sharing a common treasure. You know, we share the common treasure of Jesus Christ. And so that's fellowship. But here, Paul is saying, listen, let the one who has taught the word koinonia, fellowship, share, provide all good things to him who does the teaching. Paul is saying, listen, that's a part of body life. That's a part of church life. Uh, you know, it, I mean, you, it's not given abundance. It's not, be sure he lives lavishly. But he does say, be sure he's cared for. Be sure that the one who teaches, you share things with him because that's his main calling, his main gifting, and you do that. Then he immediately says in verse 7, and, and I should have read all these verses together, so let me go in and read it, verse, uh, starting verse 6, read it through to 10, then I'll come back. I get just wanted to be sure I got six in, you know, in the right way. <clears throat> and let the one who has taught the word share all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, While we have opportunity, let us do good to all men and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, there are three things Paul is saying in those verses. I've already hit one of them pretty well. I may hit it a little more, but it's it's receive, share, and do good. It's a sermon title. Receive, share, and do good. The implication is in verse 6, that if you're a a part of the body of Christ, you will be being taught. There's a responsibility by the under-shepherd and and the under-shepherds of a church to teach the Word of God. You know, that is the number one priority of a pastor, biblically speaking. Did you know that? A lot of people think the number one priority of the pastor is to do hospital visitation or to hold my hand when I'm hurting or to... to, uh, You know, be there when I call him in the middle of the night. Well, every pastor I know that's worth his salt will do those very things. And I do those things consistently. But that is not primarily what God has sent me to Grace Baptist Church to do. The primary thing He has sent me here to do and the other pastor to do is to teach the Word, to teach the truth. To, to expound to you God's riches out of his word. And as that happens, then you grow and you mature and, and other things will come and you have to do and that's well and good. But the most important thing is preaching the word. Uh, I remember, I've seen pastors before who didn't do that, who their priority really was visiting or their pri- priority really was you know, just kind of being a chaplain more than being a pastor. There's a great difference in the role of a chaplain and the role of a pastor. Remember, I followed a guy out of my I may have told you this, but I I'm 59, my memory's not what it used to be, so bear with me if I've told you. But my first church out of seminary, I, I followed a guy, brother R. O. Fincher. Brother R. O. was just a genuinely good southern good old boy. And he he loved to visit. I mean, he loved to get up in the morning, go have coffee with the guys at the coffee shop, or I think it was Hardy's then, back that when he coffee shops in Hill City, Alabama. Uh, but he went to, to Hardy's, had coffee with the guys, and, and then he'd go and he'd start visiting about 10 o'clock and he would visit in homes right up to lunch and hopefully the house that he would end up at at lunch would say, well, just stay and have lunch with us. And he would, sharing with him, and then he'd go out and visit all afternoon. And he loved it. Uh, actually, his first visit every day, at least five days a week, if not six days a week, was to the hospital. And R.O. didn't just go to the hospital to see people that remembers the Sixth Street Baptist Church. R.O. went to the hospital to see everybody. And he would go room to room, door to door, and ask permission to come in. If they said, sure, come on in, he would go in. He would would visit with them. He would pray with them, which is a noble thing. And then he'd go in. That would sit down a four-floor hospital, four-story hospital, I don't know how many beds. But he would hit almost every room every single day. And then he would go out visiting door to door. Well, I got there and uh, here I am right out of seminary anxious to be a good pastor anxious to be the best pastor I can be you know and just have a real desire to do that I'm studying I'm ready for the word I'm ready to preach and teach and and uh, one lady comes up to me after church a couple of weeks in and she said "Uh, I haven't seen you yet but I guess I'll see you this Thursday at three right and I said well uh, I don't know what's happening this Thursday at three she said well that's when Brother R.O. always came to my house to visit us on Thursday at 3 o'clock. I said, okay, well, actually, Thursday is a real intense study day for me when I'm preparing for Sunday and getting things ready and kind of putting the final touches on my sermons. And she said, Brother R.O. was always here at 3 o'clock on Thursday. And I said, every Thursday? Every Thursday. And what did y'all do? We just visited for a while. I usually put on a pot of coffee, and we would just sit there, and him and my husband and my daughter, and we'd just visit. I said, you know, I'm going to visit you. Probably won't be this Thursday at 3, but I'm going to visit you. But it won't be every week, and it won't be on a schedule. I'll just have to do it when I can. Well, I found out then that a few days later, someone else said, you know, you had not been to see me yet. Oh, was I supposed to? Well, yeah, Brother R.O. was there every Friday at 4 o'clock. And I realized from the very beginning, I had a problem. And I saw Brother R.O., and I, I said, uh, a, a, I don't know, I'd been there about six or eight months, and, man, this was, my head was spinning with all this. I said, I said R.O., you gotta, you got to tell me something. And he said, What? And I said, When did you prepare for your sermons? He said, Oh, usually during Sunday school. Uh, but sometimes when I was sitting up on the platform waiting to get up to preach while we were in the song service. Okay, all right. That spoke volumes. And the church showed it because they were not a, a growing, ministering, maturing body. They were a body that was looking to, what are you going to do for me? When are you going to come see me? And they were expectant to the to the max and they they, they sought to give nothing. That changed in four years a bit. At least the pastoral visitation schedule changed greatly in four years. But but this is what Paul's saying here: if you're a part of the body, one of the main things you're to be about is being taught the word, and one of the th- main things that your pastors are to be about is teaching the word. If we fail there, we can be great chaplains. We can be great visitors and great handholders, and, and we can just be as nice as can be. But if we fail in teaching and proclaiming the word of God, we have failed miserably. Because that's the first thing. So you as a church, Paul is saying, you are to receive. You are to receive my word through my ministers as they teach the word. Second thing you do is to share. And we already I've already hit on that. I'm not going to dwell on that. You know, share all good things with him who teaches. Share what they need, be sure, and, and we do that through a budget. And Grace does it greatly. Uh, but you know, that's a part of the way we minister is through being sure that needs are met, salaries are good, uh, not trying to scrimp, not trying. You know, I I used to have a guy. I don't even have one here. I can't remember if they've actually said that somebody said this or not. But I, I had a guy in uh, in in one of my former churches, and I think this was in Georgia, maybe even in Alabama too. But he said, "Oh yes," yeah, said. We just see our job is keeping the pastor poor, and God will keep him humble. I think Tim said that to me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know that's funny, but it's totally unbiblical because the Word says you care for, you take care of, you be sure that those who share the Word, those who teach the Word, are having things shared with them. So they don't have to worry about that. You know, I know pastors who. Man, they they worry constantly about how they're going to pay their bills how they're gonna how they're going to provide for their family that's because churches are sometimes selfish but if they're being taught the word faithfully then they need to be sharing to take care of those who are preaching and teaching the word then he talks about this sowing and a lot of times you know we we just jump on verse seven and say you know God's not mocked whatever you sow you'll also reap and and boy, the health and wealth guys have taken that verse and just made a a whole system of theology out of it, which is basically erroneous in this approach. If you read on and read it in context, Jesus, oh, excuse me, Paul and Jesus through Paul, so it counts, uh, Paul is not saying, hey, this is, this is the key, man. You sow a seed and I'll give back to you a hundredfold. Are you sow a seed in this ministry and I'll give it back to you tenfold. That's not what Paul is talking about here, folks. He's talking about sowing to the flesh or sowing to the spirit. Most of the health and wealth guys, when they say, you plant a seed in my ministry and God will give back to you tenfold, they're asking you to sow to your flesh because you're wanting stuff back from God. You're trying to bargain with God. Okay, God, I'll give you $100, I expect $1,000 back. I'll give you $1,000, I expect $10,000 back. If I muster $10,000 up, I expect $100,000 back. I mean, it's it's better than Wall Street, that's for sure, if it were right, but it's not. Paul is clearly saying, don't be deceived. God is not going to be mocked. And I believe most health and wealth prosperity gospel is mocking God. But God is not mocked. For the one, in verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul is right back to what he was talking about in chapter 5 when he said if we, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If, we're, if we care about our spiritual life, then we sow to the Spirit. We seek to build spiritual truth into our lives and have the Spirit of God build that truth as a major part of our life, and that leads to eternal life. We're not sowing stuff. We're not sowing so we might be materialistically blessed. We're sowing because God's Spirit is the most important thing in our life, and we need Him, and we need His strength, and we need His power. So he's talking about receiving the Word, sharing with those who teach the Word, and, and do it in a in a sowing sort of way in your own life so that you're keeping their spiritual balance right. And in verses 9 and 10, he talks about just do good. Now, be know, know this, and you do know this, that doing good saves nobody. Doing good does not earn you one iota of merit with Christ or with God. Doing good is not something you do, and Paul does not say it. He doesn't say it here at all that you're to do good so that God will like you better, or God will take care of you, or God will give you stuff. That's not what he's saying. He's saying here, and, and do not lose heart. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are in the household of the faith. Doing good is an outworking of the spirits in working. Doing good is an outworking of your life when the spirit of Christ is at work in you. You just do good. Not because you want to get favor with God, but because you have favor with God because by his grace he has changed you and given you new life. And so Paul says don't lose heart in doing good. Now why would he say that? Have you ever done a lot of good? I mean I, and maybe I'm asked that wrong so you don't expect me to say you to no 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 I've never done No, that's not what I'm saying. Have you ever sought to just do good to people? And that can be the most exhausting thing in the world when we talk about the poor in the next few weeks as, as Brother Scott brings that series of messages on Sunday night, let me tell you something. If you get serious about ministering to the poor, there is nothing that will discourage you anymore. If you're looking for the sowing in their lives to be reaped from them, it's very wearying. It's very wearying to, to do good and see people just Take it for granted. It's very wearying to see to do good to somebody and then them just kind of go off and, and symbolically at least slap you in the face. Paul says, listen, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in doing good. You were created, Paul said in another place, for good works. That's why he saved you. He cre- we have been created for good works. Now go and do them. Don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Don't get down over it. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. That idea of losing heart, growing weary, those are the same concepts. And Paul, is, Paul is wanting us to see here that it'll, it'll be tiring. It'll be frustrating. It'll be, it'll be demoralizing sometimes. But that's what we're called to do we're especially called to do it within the family of God. That's what he says in verse 10. Let's do good to all men while we have an opportunity. While we have an opportunity, let's do good to all men and especially. Circle especially. Underline especially. If you've got a highlighter, highlight especially to those who are in the household of faith. Because you see, It comes right back to the church. Discipline issue. It comes right back to the the family of God issue, that we are family together in the family of God, adopted into his family. The household of faith is where our emphasis is to be. Greatly and importantly, caring for one another, doing good to one another, not just to the one who teaches. You're to share with the one who teaches all things all good things but also with all one another you know I mentioned this before but if you want to just really have a great study that will just blow your mind literally blow your mind take time and go through Paul's epistles and just study two little words that appear together one another pray for one another bear one another's burdens exhort one another you know I mean, on and on. There's like 35 different usages of those two little words as direct instruction for us within the family, within the body. There is that reciprocal ministry that's to be taking place, not just from pastor and staff to people. You see, that is a false dichotomy, if we're not careful. It's a a false division. We are all laity. Because uh, laity just means people. We're all the people of God. We're all the family of God together. Uh, I have been gifted and I have been uh, charged by God to teach and to pastor and to lead. But that's just the giftedness he gave me. And God has set me apart in a vocational sort of way that way. But but I, I'm not here and you're there. And now you know this platform may give that indication. But that's just so you can see me near me. We're together. We're on equal footing at the cross. And so I'm to minister to you, yes, as a part of the body. And and you're to minister to me as a part of the body. And you're to minister to one another, one another, as part of the body life, body experience, body relationship. We've lost that in the church. We really have. We've lost that in the the church across this whole land. It's not just just here in Somerset. It's it's everywhere. It's rampant that the church is more of a business or more of an organization than it is an organism. We talked about that Wednesday night. That God doesn't see the church as primarily an organization. God sees the church as an organism. The Bible sees the church as an organism, living, breathing, growing, changing, maturing in every respect. The only way that'll happen is when we do good for one another, do good to one another, and encourage one another with the Spirit, sowing to the Spirit, not sowing to the flesh, sowing to what God wants to do in each of our lives. And don't get discouraged. Don't lose heart. Press on in the truth that is in Jesus Christ. To all of us who know Him. To all of us who have had the seed of the Word implanted within us. Peter talks about that. And that seed is now growing and maturing, and fruit is being born if we are in Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray you help us to receive, to share, and to do good. I pray, Lord, you would help us to exemplify biblical ministry to one another, encouragement, body life in every sense of the word. Father, we thank you for this day pray for many of our church family that are traveling even right now probably heading back to Somerset from Nashville Father we ask you to watch over them and protect them Father for days to come I pray that you will just give us a greater burden for being what you've called us to be as Grace Baptist Church in your name we pray and for your glory alone Amen